I need you to do me a favor, if you will, before we get going. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. Kind of odd. I promise you, nobody's going to bonk you in the head or anything. Um, and I want you to picture Jesus however you picture him. This isn't a lesson on his race or anything like that, long hair, short hair, anything like that. Just grab a picture of Jesus in your mind, what he looks like, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to stick with that here for today. Uh, Jesus... We talk about God the Father a lot. We talk about Christ, and these can become such crazy, uh, big ideas. I pray that we would see you, the human being, God with skin on today, and hear what you want to say to us in Christ's name. Uh, okay, here's a question. If I were to dress this morning in a red suit with a hat with a puffy white ball on the end of it and a bag of presents, you would associate that with uh, what holiday? All right, good. Uh, you're one for one. All right. Uh, if I were to come like and creep all the children out today, but be dressed as a bunny and have a little basket with plastic eggs uh, and with candy in them, particularly those, uh, I don't know, how many of you eat those eggs that have that creamy stuff in them, the grossest? Does anybody actually eat those? Uh, the car- Okay, there we go. We got a Cadbury egg fan here. If I did that, you would associate that with... Awesome, two for two. If I dressed in a scary costume and had a jack-o'-lantern and had more candy, but this candy, instead of being pastel, is now orange and black, that would be? Oh, man. And then if I dressed in red, white, and blue and was carrying a burger and a hot dog and a steak because it's the one holiday a year where you can eat all three and be a good citizen, and I was sunburned and was excited about fireworks, I would be celebrating... Independence Day, 4th of July, yep. In the South, they call it July the 4th, and the first time I said that up here, a friend of mine uh, from here goes, that was the most redneck thing I've ever heard you say. First of all, it's not July the 4th, it's the 4th of July. He's like, second, he was like, you mispronounced July. He's like, you said July. He's like, nobody up here talks like that. Get that out of your vocabulary right now. So, but here, here's the conundrum. What if today I dressed in a Santa suit with a red, white, and blue hat, a jack-o'-lantern, and a bunch of pastel candy? That would be confusing, right? That would be a little odd and a little confusing, and you would probably go, is he all right? Like, what's going on up there in his head right now? But in Jesus's day, that's exactly what happened on Palm Sunday. Not exactly like that, but pretty close to that. That's what was going on. For the Jewish people, there were actually two major historical events and high holy days that were colliding. And so I I hear this Palm Sunday story. I was telling Barb this morning, Barb's all her life from New England. I, up until just a few years ago, was not all my life from New England. Palm Sunday up here is a much bigger deal. Renee texted me this week and said, man, are you going to be passing out palms on Sunday? And so Natalie made, Natalie and Miguel made a bunch of these. If anybody wants to take one of these with you today, I think that would be wonderful. I assume when he said that, he meant one of these and not some of these. He could have carried some. You can carry some of these out if you want. They're just kind of heavy and messy. But uh, like Palm Sunday for me and the way I was raised, the tradition I was raised in was not as big of a deal as it was for a lot of you. It was a bigger deal if you grew up in a different part of the country or in a different denominational tradition. But here's what I've learned this week. Whatever we think Palm Sunday is and whatever Jesus is doing here in John 12 and in the other Gospels, I promise you, for the people who were there, this was epic. This was like two, this was going to be, as we'll see in a moment, 
two holidays in one. And it probably made about as much sense at, in the moment, we're going to see it made about as much sense as it would make if I wore a red Santa suit with a red, white, and blue hat and had a jack-o'-lantern and pastel candy. And I'm going to show you why here today. Look at, with me at uh, John chapter 12. We're going to start out in John 12 and just read four verses, but then we're going to circle back to it later. So if you're reading one of the paper Bibles that are in the seat or under the seat, uh, just hold your page, if you will. Now, John chapter 12, this is the last week of Jesus's life, and he has done most of his ministry in an area of ancient Palestine, modern-day Israel, in a, a northern area called the Galilee. And the Galilee would be kind of the backwoods. It's not as urban as Jerusalem. It's not as influential. But most of Jesus' ministry and his friendships and calling the disciples, most of it has occurred in the Galilee. And so Jesus, when he would come into Jerusalem, he would literally probably have an accent, like he's from a different region of the country. And they would pick up on it. And he's done all this ministry in the Galilee and all these healings and all these miracles and all this stuff in the Galilee. And now he's coming up the mountain into the city of Jerusalem because it's at a higher elevation. He's coming into Jerusalem, and here's what happens. The next day, John 12, verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took out branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So you've got all these people, uh, because this is the, the first thing that's going on in verse 12 is the feast is Passover, which is a really big deal, as we're going to talk about in just a moment. It's a really big deal. So you've got all these people, these Galileans and people from not Jerusalem, they're coming into the city to celebrate Passover, and they hear that Jesus is coming into the city as well. So they're all coming to Jerusalem, to the city of David, to the home of the kings of Israel. And that's really important. For a thousand years, the kings of Israel have basically, not always, but for the most part, they've set up base here in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus is coming into the town, and all of these godly Scripture-knowing, God-fearing Jewish people who are from out of town are here, and they're here for it. Like, they are here for it. You know, it's like hearing that the Patriots have won another Super Bowl, and you just happen to be on vacation in Boston in February, and you happen to hear that the duck boats are going to be coming through, and like, you're just like, man, we thought we were just in Boston for vacation. Turns out there's a Super Bowl parade, a duck boat parade. We are here for it. And so they are here for this feast, the Feast of Passover. Uh, and what is that? So for some of us, this isn't necessarily, unless you were born with Jewish roots and a family that celebrated this, you may not necessarily know this. In Exodus 11, verse 4 through 12, 32, Moses, if you've ever watched the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie, which I think was on ABC last night, if I am correct, uh, if you've never watched that, because it's 18 hours long and you don't have that much of your life to commit to it, uh, let me give you a synopsis. The people of God have been enslaved in Israel for hundreds of years. God's people who were meant to live as a free people have become enslaved to a tyrannical 
ruler, and God is going to overthrow Pharaoh as slave owner of Israel through Moses. So Moses, who was born a Hebrew, he was born one of the children of faith, a descendant of Abraham, is adopted by the Pharaoh and raised in the Pharaoh's court. He's raised as Egyptian royalty. But in a moment, he, he murders an Egyptian who's beating an Israelite, a Jewish person, and he flees for 40 years to Midian. After 40 years of living in the backside of a desert and thinking God is done with him, God sends him back to Egypt to free his people to be no longer a slave. And he does this, God does this through 10 plagues. And on the 10th plague, the people were to take an unblemished one-year-old lamb and they were to actually adopt it as a pet. So I know that some of you are pet people. How many of you are pet people? Yeah. So take a baby lamb, let it live with the kids for two weeks. It's, you know, figuring the house out. It's becoming a pet. This is literally what's going on. A beautiful, perfect little one-year-old lamb or goat. It's going to live in your house for two weeks. And then you kill it. God commanded them in Exodus 11. And you put its blood on the doorpost. So you would take the blood and you would get a brush and you would put blood here and blood here and blood here. And in the middle of the night, the angel of God was going to come through Egypt and go through every household, slave or free, Egyptian or Hebrew. And if there was blood on the doorpost, the angel of God was going to pass over. And if there was not blood on the doorpost, the angel of God was going to kill the firstborn son. And this wasn't just true for the humans. This was true of everything. If there wasn't blood on the doorpost, every firstborn in the home died that night. In preparation for the angel to pass over, they would, family, the family would feast on the meat of this unblemished lamb. And God would pass over his people after this meal. This was such a big deal to the Israelite people, to the Hebrews, that um, the blood sort of allowing the Passover, that God reframed their entire calendar with that. God said, this is going to be a such, such a big deal for your history that from now on, your new January 1st, and it wasn't January 1st, but the new start of your year is going to start on this day when the, you became free because the blood of a sacrificial lamb was on the doorpost of your house. Let me read to you Exodus 12, 14 and 15. God says this to the people, or it says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days, eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you'll remove the leaven from your houses, for if anyone eats what's leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. He goes on and he gives them how they're going to operate for a week. And at the end of it, at the end of Exodus 12, God says, and you're going to feast on this lamb and you're going to reframe your year and I'm going to set you free from Pharaoh and from being a slave once and forevermore. This is a high Jewish holiday. Every year the Jewish people would come to the city of Jerusalem and they would celebrate Passover together. Now, Here's where, so that's the, that's the Santa suit, okay? That's the Santa suit. Now, here comes the Easter Bunny costume in the same moment. And this is amazing, and I didn't understand a lot of this until some of this this week uh, reading. Let's read verse, let me reread to you verse 13. So they went out, and they took branches of palm trees, 
And they went out to meet Jesus, and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. How many of you, when you look at this, and you're, if you're reading a paper Bible, how many of you is it inset a little bit? Is that how it is for some of you? It's a quote from Zechariah 9.9. We're going to read it here in just a moment. I'll turn to it in a moment. But let me just give you some context here. The palm trees, the Hosanna, the even the king, it says. For us, I, I see this part. I can just see hundreds of people waving these as Jesus comes in. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're waving these and they're laying them down. And Jesus is on a donkey and he's walking over them and they're laying down their coats, it says, so that even the donkey that Jesus is riding on doesn't have to step on these. They're honoring Jesus. I hear this and I think Palm Sunday. I think people in church and I think the beginning of Holy Week and all of that. But that's not what these people thought. That's not what they thought. What they thought was about coronation day, the day a new king would come, and particularly they thought about Hanukkah. Now, what does this have to do with Hanukkah? Uh, I'm not Jewish. I don't have any menorahs in my house. I don't know a ton about Hanukkah. Here's a couple things I do know. Here's a family, the, the Maccabeans, and the sort of the leader of their family was a guy named Judas Maccabeus or Maccabeus. And for eight days after an evil king named Antiochus IV desecrated the temple of God in the 150s BC, 150 years before Jesus, this pagan king of the Seleucid dynasty desecrated the temple of God and the Maccabeus family said, oh no, 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 no. You're not going to do that. You just crossed the line. And they start a war, much like some of the warfare that's going on right now in our world. But they're starting it as the people being attacked because when Antiochus attacked the temple, that was an act of aggression and religious hostility and desecrating the temple. And so for eight days, the oil does not run out of the menorah as the, Maccab the, the, the Maccabean revolt occurs. And at the end of that, when they run the Seleucids out of Jerusalem, Judas Maccabeus in 156, let me make sure I get the date right, in 156 BC, in 164 BC, he purges the temple and he enters the city. And guess how he comes in? Riding on a colt. And so he's coming in as the king who just ran the bad guys out of town. And all the people, guess what they're waving while Judas is riding, not Judas the betrayer, but this Judas in 164 BC, they're waving these. Because they're saying, you're our king and you just set us free from the people who just embarrassed our temple, shamed us as a nation. And tried to take us over again like Egypt did. And so Hanukkah flows out of the Maccabean revolt. Which culminates with Judas Maccabeus riding into Jerusalem. And the people waving palm branches and laying them down. Understanding that they had, for the first time in a long time, they had a king again. They were no longer people ruled by outsiders. He was their king. 400 years before that, in 520... BC, a prophet named Zechariah wrote this, because this wasn't just a one-time thing. When a king would come into Jerusalem, he would often come in the same way. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. I will cut off, that, by the way, that was the verse we just read in John, that John quoted. But let me read to you in two more, three more verses. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. 520 years before Jesus was even born, a prophet said there would be a king who would come riding into the city and he would be for the people from sea to shining sea. And he would defend them and set them free. Verse 11, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare through this king riding on the donkey that I will restore to you double. So we have Passover where there's going to be a lamb and then we have Coronation Day, particularly Hanukkah, where there's going to be a king. And Jesus is being just those things. He is that king and he is that lamb. He's at Passover, he's the sacrificial lamb. At Hanukkah, he's the king. So they're shouting on that day, Hosanna, Hosanna, which in, in ancient uh, Hebrew meant, save us. We're begging you, God, please save us. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Just, God, I am in a mess right now. Save me. I'm begging you. Like I hear Hosanna and I think, Oh, nice, it's a nice church word, and it makes some songs that we sing in church. When they're saying this to Jesus, they're saying, save us from the Roman Empire that is inhabiting our city. Like Judas Maccabeus set us free in 164 BC, save us, Jesus. Please, we are begging you, save us from the Roman Empire. They're taxing the bejesus out of us. They're killing us. They're abusing us. They're desecrating our faith. They're not honoring us. Jesus, will you please come and save us and run Rome out of here? But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't coming just to be a king. He was not just a king. They thought they would crown him. They thought they would be on top politically, that Jesus would reign on an earthly throne of power. They would fight for Jesus when they're coming in. They're waving these branches, doing this in the face of the Roman Empire, probably while Roman soldiers are standing there, is almost like an act of aggression right before war. They're saying, Jesus, if you'll be our king, we'll fight for you. We'll fight for you, Jesus. You'll free us from Rome. We will be willing to die for you, Jesus. But Jesus wasn't coming to be just a king. That was not his plan. His plan was not a, cr a crown. His plan was a cross. He wasn't just coming to be an earthly king to set them free from Rome. He wasn't coming uh, for them to be on top, but for him to be emptied out. Jesus was going to reign in a new kingdom of heaven, not an earthly Jerusalem. He would die for them. He did not need them to fight for him. Jesus doesn't need us to fight for him. He died for us. We don't fight for religion and morality and church and all of that stuff. Jesus laid down his life for us. He was going to free them, but not from Rome. He was going to free them from sin and from dead religion. Not only was he not just a king, he was also not just a lamb. He wasn't just a lamb. He wasn't going to die just to save them and cover their sins so they could then live like hell to the next Passover. 
Some of us have grown up in traditions where we would go and we would sort of confess our sin, be it weekly or yearly, or at some point we would confess our sin, and then hopefully that would like straighten us out and we would begin to live more morally pure lives. But for some of us, if we're being honest, it was just we would go confess that sin, live like hell till the next time we confess that sin. Jesus wasn't coming just to be the lamb that allowed us to have our sins covered and then we could go and live like the devil. No, Jesus is the unexpected king and the sacrificial lamb. He's a better king than Judas Maccabeus or even King David. And he's a better once and for all Passover lamb. I want to tell you today, Jesus will not be our king and not, he will not be our king and not our savior. A lot of people who want Jesus to be our king is not necessarily our savior. Like, I want you to be my king. Like, I want you to fix my finances. I want you to fix my relationships. I want you to make my life better. I want you to be the king of the empire of me. I just don't necessarily want you to be the lamb that dies for me. Because in dying for me and having to put the blood over my heart, I'm confessing that I'm desperate and helpless to deal with my problems. Jesus will not be our king and not also be our lamb. He, will, he won't be our savior also and not be our Lord. There's a lot of people who say, Jesus, I want you to cover my heart with the blood. But like, don't ask anything of me. I want you to be my savior, not my Lord. I want to be forgiven. I just want to do what I want to do. I want to know I'm going to go to heaven when I die, or I've got peace with you while I live. I just don't want it to ask anything of how I'm going to do life Monday through Saturday. And as one of my mentors used to say, Jesus will either be Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He will be Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He's not interested in being an earthly political king who makes us popular and helps churches feel good about themselves. He wants to be the Savior, and He wants to be the Lord, or He is not Lord at all. And that's what's happening on Palm Sunday. They're like, Jesus, we want a king. Set us free from Rome. And Jesus goes, I've got a way bigger agenda than that, guys. I'm doing way more right now than just trying to set you free and lower your taxes and make your life a lot easier. And it makes them insanely uncomfortable as the week wears on. The country people from Galilee are there in the city, but by Friday, the, the residents of Jerusalem who have lived with dead religion and, uh, and the Roman bullies all of their life, they're ready to crucify him because they get that he's not going to set them free politically. He's actually asking to be their savior and they are not at all comfortable with that for us today hosanna pre-easter save us we beg you lord if we sing hosanna this week if you go put on that hill song song hosanna this week and worship and you listen to that i want to tell you post easter easter what we're saying is we're worshiping the lamb and the king and we're singing we are saved jesus is enough jesus does not want to be my pocket savior who i whip out when i'm in trouble when I can't pay a bill, or when I've got a problem with my boss, or when Nat and I are in a fight or whatever. Jesus wants to be the Lord of my life, the one that everything hinges on and everything is built around. And so when we sing Hosanna, we are saying, Jesus is enough. We are saved. He has done it. So how do we respond to that? I'm glad you asked. 
Go back to John 12. There's four responses that day to what happens to Jesus. Starting in verse 16, his disciples, they didn't even understand what was going on at first. But when Jesus was glorified after he had been resurrected and then went back up to heaven 40 days later, they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The first thing we may do is we may miss it. I I don't know how many of you have relationship with God through Christ. I would assume the majority of us in the room do. There are a lot of times in my life where it just didn't make sense. I gave my life to Christ when I was about nine. My granddad, every single Sunday while grandma and my mom were cooking Sunday lunch, my granddad would come in. My brother and I were just trying to watch cartoons or the Atlanta Braves on television. And my granddad would come in. He would share the gospel with us. He would say, you know, uh, he always called me son. He'd say, you know, son, did you hear what the preacher was saying today in the message? That you are a sinner and I'm a sinner and Christ died on the cross for our sins and we can have a relationship with God through Jesus if we make him Savior and Lord. And it never made sense. He would do this every Sunday. It never made any sense. Until one Sunday, it did make sense. And what he was saying became true deep down in my heart and soul. And I wanted Christ in my life. But there were so many times when I missed it. And there are so many people in our lives who just miss it. We share the gospel and just the light doesn't go off. I've heard sometimes it takes seven times to hear the gospel to really believe it. I've heard nowadays in 2022, it may be as many as 20 or more times that someone has to see and hear the gospel before they're ready. The disciples were with Jesus every day for three years and they missed it that day. Verse 17, the second reaction. The crowd that had been with him, the people who were waving the palm branches, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and they raised him and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Now this is important. So they're bearing witness to Jesus. Watch what it says in verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. Some people wanted to hijack Jesus' mission. They wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him to do, not what he came to do. These are the people who when Jesus said, he he fed the, the thousands, he fed them bread and fish. And they're like, Jesus, give us more bread and fish. And Jesus says, I'm the bread, come feast on me. They're like, yeah, that's cool. But we just want more bread. We're hungry. People were constantly trying to hijack what Jesus was about. And there's a group that week that tries to hijack it. They love the signs. They wanted a king. They couldn't grasp the lamb for desperation for a king. This is when we try to, uh, in our house, uh, we make a lot of cookies, a shameful amount of cookies. Any of you like cookies? Yes. Hallelujah. I see that hand. Uh, I'm not alone. Praise God. Like, I love cooking. I remember we used to, as a kid, and we do it at our house, cut out some cookies. Like, we've got a Massachusetts, we can make Massachusetts cookies, we can make cat cookies, you know, we've got holiday cookies. A lot of times what we try to do to the gospel is we try to make the gospel conform, like a cookie cutter, to what we want it to be. And what Jesus wants to do is for us to conform our life into what he wants us to be about. He wants to be the lamb, he wants to be the king, not us cherry-picking who we want him to be and what we want him to do. That's discipleship, letting the gospel change us rather than us conforming the gospel to how we want God to make us. Next, next thing that happened, verse 19, the third reaction. So the Pharisees then said to one another, look, they say to each other, look, you're gaining nothing. The whole world's gone after him. We've been the power brokers for decades. We've run this city. 
And we've told people how they had to behave and how they had to pray and how they had to wash their clothes and their cups. And we have run this place. We've worked with Rome and they've let us run the power religiously. And here comes this Galilean carpenter calling himself the king. And they think he's the king. And he's coming in here like he's going to be the lamb. And we got to stop this because the whole world's about to go after this guy. And they are freaking out. The third thing we can do is we can fight it. We have friends in Charlestown, God bless them, some very specific faces come to mind as I say this, who mock the gospel, who undermine the gospel, who fight against the gospel. And I, and I guarantee you, you know people like that too. And I want to encourage you to love them and pray for them and encourage them. And, and, but do not throw pearls to swines. The gospel is more beautiful than people's power and stamina to reject it. Keep moving forward. The fourth reaction, I love this, and we'll begin to bring it to a close here. Verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast, there were some Greeks. These were people who just happened to be in town. Culturally Greek, not really Jewish. Different culture, different language, probably some different religion even going on for a lot of these people. Verse 21, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and he told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Some people missed it. Some people hijacked it. Some people fought it. But some people, the Greeks and Philip and Andrew, received it, and they began to spread the news. They spread the news. They wanted to get people to Jesus. I think about my friend and mentor when I was in ninth grade. His name was Chuck Shaheen. And Chuck was raised uh, basically no faith whatsoever. And he came to Christ as an adult. And man, he wanted to see everyone get to Jesus. I mean, you, you could not have too much or too little and Chuck would share the gospel with you. You could not be too cool or too lame and Chuck would share the gospel with you. And he would do whatever it took to get people to Jesus. And that's what's going on here. These Greeks are like, hey... We don't know that we can even approach him. We're Greek, we're culturally, your religion says we're dirty, but we want to see Jesus. And Philip and Andrew say, let's go get him. Let's get these people to Jesus. This story has a lot of stuff hidden from us in 2022 Boston, but it made sense to Jewish Christians in 90 AD. And when Greek Christians read this in 90 AD, about when it was written, it made perfect sense to them. This is a very Jewish moment where Passover and Hanukkah and the King of Israel are kind of meeting I love this about it. It ends with Greeks, not Jews, getting to Jesus. The story ends not with a very Jewish thing, but with Jesus being the Savior of the world. Why? I'm glad you asked. Let me share with you the first verse that I memorized other than Jesus wept. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only unique Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Doesn't just mean the globe. That we were talking about, Nick and I were texting about this last night. That idea uh, is uh, a Greek idea of God loves every people group. Doesn't mean that God, like if you grab a globe and you look at the nations. Oh, here's Ukraine, here's Russia, here's El Salvador, here's Nicaragua, here's America, here's Canada, here's Australia. It doesn't mean that. What it means is every group of people. Jesus loves every unique group of people so much. God loves them so much. He loves every language. He loves every skin color. God is not colorblind. 
Every skin color reflects something of his character and beauty. And he loves every skin color, every language. He loves every culture. He loves every one of us so much. But he didn't leave us. God didn't leave us to ourselves. Rather, he sent his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have abundant and eternal life. Jesus was not coming to be an earthly king. He's not buddy Christ. He's not pocket Jesus. He's not affirming us and our cause. He is not just a sacrificial lamb, but he is certainly a sacrificial lamb. He is not just an unexpected king, but he is certainly an unexpected king. He is the once and for all sacrificial lamb and the once and for all unexpected king, the king we would have never asked for, but exactly the king that we needed. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We praise you. Jesus, we celebrate you. We wave, these, we wave our palm branches today, not saying we beg you, Lord, to save us, but Jesus, as people who the majority in here have invited Christ in their life, they're part of your family by faith, by grace, through faith. God, as those people, we wave the palm branches. We carry these little palm crosses out of here as a way of saying, you have saved us. Jesus, you're the king and the lamb, and you are enough. And we love you as we enter today into this holy week, Jesus, where we'll reflect on you hopefully more than we do during the course of a year. We'll come and worship you in greater numbers, statistically more likely across our city next week than we do most of the year. Jesus, I pray that in our hearts and in our church and our city, you would not be the king that we construct and that we maybe want in our flesh, but God, we would meet you as the Passover lamb and the king that we need. That we would let you be our savior and we would let you be our Lord. And Jesus, if there's anyone in this room today who's never given their life to you, I thank you that you came for all the world because you loved all the world and you loved every single person in here. And so if there's a person in here who needs to surrender her or his life to you today, become part of your family, receive you as king and savior, I pray they would do that. For others of us in the room, God, because we're filled with the Spirit, but man, we can leak. We have the best of intentions, but God, my follow-through sometimes is so weak. Lord Jesus, for the Christians in the room who maybe make you into the king of our construction, forgive us. We want you to be our Savior. God, we don't want to go out and try to do something for you. You don't need us to do anything for you. We restore you right now to the throne of our hearts, Lord Jesus. We want you to be our Savior. We want you to be our Lord. We're sorry when we wander. We're thankful that you love us when we wander and when we come home. And that is the gospel. And that is why we come home. Not because it makes you love us more, but because we're perfectly loved. Lord, we just, I, I, I pray that our hearts connect to you today as we go out into this holy week. In Christ's name, amen.